Excuse me sounding a bit like a fanboy, but Jamie East is someone that I've been keen to talk to on Rocket Fuel for a little while. You see, he, back in the day, was responsible for the celebrity website Holy Moly. He's presented Big Brother's Little Brother, and he's done lots of things teetering around the brink of the very genesis of celebrity culture, the very thought of what people want to hear from their celebrities. So when I heard that he was launching The Smart 7, a new podcast that was going to be short form and in the style of educating its audience, a younger audience, I was keen to chat to him to find out what it was all about. You can hear me in this week's edition of Rocket Fuel talk to Jamie about his past and about celebrity culture, about everything that shaped his being in this space, and now the very exciting world of the Smart Seven, his podcast series. So, this week we talk to Jamie East about his Rocket Fuel. So this week, I'm joined by Jamie East. He's the founder of Smart 7, which is an awesome uh, news digest podcast. We'll come in on to that a little bit later. But first of all, Jamie, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Um, Jamie, for the benefit of those that don't know you, can you bring to life your journey for us? Because... I first became of your, aware of your work at Holy Moly, but there might have been a, a million years before that, and there might have been a load of things after that. What's been your professional journey? Yeah, I think if anyone knows me, there aren't that many that know me, but if anyone knows me, it's usually for Holy Moly, or it's for Big Brother, or it's for looking like Jurgen Klopp now. Um, but my journey, I guess, like most kind of people who don't really have a fixed abode in the media landscape, it's a bit of everything, a proper jack of all trades. So I originally started off as a singer in a punk band. Wow. Uh, back in the late 90s, um, kind of just touring Europe and getting on the chart show and doing videos and MTV and all that stuff. Never quite, never quite broke through. And that all kind of uh, disintegrated. And then ended up um, working at Sky as a... Um, you know, full disclosure, my dad uh, has been involved in the media all his life, all his working life. So this is kind of the family business. And yes, it's nepotism, but, you know, no one says that to the son of a butcher. Not allowed to be a butcher. <laughs> it's just what my dad did for a living. It was kind of, you know, I grew up on, I grew up in TV studios. That was, uh, that was my upbringing, really. So ended up working um, as a graphics operator for Sky News, um, which was a great kind of, Still to this day, one of the best kind of learning experiences I think anyone can have. If you, if you can if you can get through a couple of years on a twenty four hour rolling news channel, uh, you can you can pretty much do anything in the media. It was great fun, um, but the money was absolutely crap. So, <laughs> but at the time, I mean, I, I was literally I think the week I started at Sky was the week that email got given to Sky. Like all wow. of us people at Sky got an email address for the first time. That was how. That's how old I am. Um, and that really kind of changed things because all of a sudden websites were a thing that people needed to have. Um, and there was just a massive gold rush on for, for, for talent and for, for people with, with skills that literally six months ago didn't even exist. You know, um, yep. one of those was, was 
writing code and building websites, you know, the, and, and Sky were paying like double what I was on uh, as, a, as a graphics operator. I thought, so I used to finish my morning shift at Sky News and then go and sit in the, uh, the new media, as it was called then, uh, department and basically taught myself out of the back of a book to write HTML and to build websites in six months so they would give me a job which would double my salary because I had two young children at the time. Okay. Um, so that happened and then kind of trundled along for that and then I thought oh, I'll go I'll make my own website now and literally the first website I made was Holy Moly. Wow. <laughs> Ironically That's the last good. one as well I didn't need to make any more I kind of absolutely <laughs> kind of struck gold um, with the first with the first one I did and and you know, not not solely by chance, but you know, um, the you know the, the celebrity gossip uh, era went overnight, went into a new a new kind of place, new territory, new new hunger for it, new appetite for it, and a completely different way of uh, that the world treated celebrities, and 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 I just happened like genuinely just to be in the right place at the right time, and just saw an opportunity and just nicked it. And with that celebrity stuff, we'll come on and get the update for where you went next. Bring it to life around what time? So was Heat Magazine out when Holy Moly launched? Was it yeah, Sky? Yeah. What, what was it, it was. It was nuts. When you think about it, this is how bad huge media strategies were back in 2002 when I launched. So Popbitch had been around a couple of years and was doing phenomenally well. And you know the golden rule is if if there's one if there's one brand doing something brilliant, then there sure as hell room for a competitor to come and steal the march on them. That happens, yeah. you know, throughout the history of histories of, of all things. That is why yeah. Pepsi and Cola, in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, Pepsi and Coke, rather, in a nutshell. So, so I, was, you know, I was a fan of Pop Bitch. I was a member of Pop Bitch. I was an editor of the of the message board and helped out any way I could. But there was no one else doing it. Heat magazine was huge i think they were doing upwards of a quarter of a million copies a week yeah a week they did not have a website wow the 3am girls which was arguably the biggest celebrity gossip column in the tabloids did not have a website no one had a, the bizarre column in the sun didn't have a website none right. of the big brands had a single kind of property or stake uh, to online celebrity gossip, which is just hilarious to think about that now. Yeah. Um, so it was the easiest decision I ever made. It was done yeah. in a day. I built it in a day, got the message board up and running. And, you know, within, I think within six months, we'd overtaken Pop Bitch. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. And well, not um, exactly morally upstanding, but, you know, it's a business. Yeah. Model. <laughs> And after Holy Moly, where, where did you go next? Um, and we'll come on to talk Endemol and things like that a little bit later. But, but yeah, what was next on, your, on, the, on the professional course that you took? So I sold Holy Moly. Um, and part of the deal uh, was that I sold it to, to, I sold it twice, actually. Uh, bought it back and resold it to Endemol. And that kind of uh, un, unwittingly uh, turned me into a TV presenter, which was genuinely not, a career path that I'd ever really considered. I, I, I hosted the videos for um, for Holy Moly after Matt Edmondson went on to become a star, you know. Yeah. Um, but there was no real plan to for it to become a career, and yet sold it to Endemol. I think in March, and by June or July, I was 
hosting Big Brother's bit on the side with Emma Willis and Alice Levine. Wow. Just like nuts. Yeah. And that was it. And then all, you know, then that's, that's been kind of like my career path ever since it started. It's just like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now. I am genuinely kind of uh, Morgana's version of, um, of, uh, of Natalie Cassidy on EastEnders. All I see. Oh, I guess I guess this is my job now. And it went from TV into the radio, into film critic, into journalist, into writer, into podcast, you know, just kind of like a pinball, just constantly bouncing through the world. And in the workplace, are there a certain kind of people that you like to surround yourself with? Do you like people that are entrepreneurial? Do you like people that are disruptive? Do you like people that are a safe pair of hands? Is there a commonality or do you look for everybody to bring something different? Um, I mean, you have to, on a basic level, you have to, everyone has to fit the remit that they're there for. You know, they have to be a good writer. They have to be a good picture editor. They have to be a good, you know, video editor whatever whatever it is you buy them for in terms of character it took me quite a while to to realize that actually just hiring people like me is a really bad idea you know because i'm quite you, you don't want a company full of entrepreneurs because it's just a disaster you need you actually need you need people that are perfectly happy and comfortable with turning up and doing the job that, you, that they're paid to do and doing it really well and being part of a team. What you don't want is people like me who are constantly looking over their shoulder for the next opportunity or who kind of like are great at starting ideas and, and less great at kind of seeing them through. So a safe pair of hands really that, allow, that, that allows me to go off and, and, and make mistakes or make successes and, and be accountable for both of them. Have you had mentors? Have you had people that you've looked up to at various stages of your career? Or have you just soaked it up from those that are across the other side of the studio or the other side of the, the, the laptop? How, how does that work? Who have you got your knowledge from? Oh, I don't know. I mean, in terms of mentors, difficult really, because I've never really had a, a, a kind of, because there's been no plan. There's yeah. never been a time where I've taken stock and gone, well, okay, I guess I want to be a TV presenter now. So who do I need to look towards? Who's the, who fits, who could my, who could I be looking towards for, for, for guidance in that? Or So not really in terms of career, but I guess in character, obviously my old man is, is, is far and away the most influential person in my life, you know, and, and his, his, you know, his career, his career in the media is, 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 is one that would never happen nowadays, but it's certainly one that, you know, just shows that, you know, occasionally you just have to knuckle down and do some work, you know, and, yeah. and, and to, to hell with, to hell with everyone else's thoughts on whether you, whether you can do it or not. Um, there have certainly been people that I've worked with along the way that I've been extremely grateful to have around and had I not had them around, uh, life would have been very different. I think um, John Riley was pretty inspirational. I think to, he wasn't even the head of Sky News when I was, working at Sky News. Nick, Nick Pollard was the head of Sky News and John Riley was the, uh, the hungry, young, hip, young gunslinger that was, that was bubbling. Right. He was a great force of energy to kind of see around the newsroom. Um, uh, Peter Robinson, uh, the journalist Peter Robinson, who founded Pop Justice, who's now one of my, my dearest friends. We set up uh, a company together, HMPJ, which, which ran online services for the likes of Channel 4, um, you know, he, his character, his work ethic and his actual, his personality, which is very completely different to mine, um, is just terrific. It's terrific to, to be around. He's got just perfect judgment. 
I think, which is something I do not always have. Um, do you think having a basis in traditional news, calling Sky News tradition, but in rolling news, in serious grown-up news, if you like, do you think that made it easier for them, you to come along and almost disrupt that? Do you think if you hadn't have had the training of how things, quote-unquote, should be done... Yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's the old adage, you, you, in order to break something, you've got to understand how it works. And... A couple of things that I learned at Sky News, which, you know, and I didn't really have anything, I didn't have anything to do with the actual storytelling of Sky News or the editorial of it, but, but just from a, just as an, a, a bystander was that you can't argue with the news. You know, you can't, you can't pick and choose the news. You can't cherry pick your favorite bits of the news. The news is the news and there's no, and it's actually really liberating. It sounds quite simple, but it's actually really liberating when you remember that. So when you're, arguing about a, a story list or, or a running order or what the headline is or what the top story should be. It's just, what is the most important story? What is the biggest story to our viewers or to our listeners? And once you remember that, it doesn't really matter what your opinion is. You may not like Boris Johnson. You may hate Trump. You may, you may be, you may hate the fact that, I don't know, the spy skills are split up, whatever that, whatever the story is or whatever genre it is, it doesn't really matter what your personal take is on a story. It's what is the biggest story. So things like that are really useful. And also, I guess, seeing how reserved news can be as well, you know? Yeah. And that was one thing that I've never really, or I've always found difficult is to remain completely impartial. I think, you know, it's important to, to, sit on a fence when you're talking politics or, or doing a proper news service but in to do that without injecting any personality i think is a waste you know you yeah. can things with personality can i having a tangent i never thought we'd get to but seeing as we're, we're there right now have you did you ever were you surprised by what gb news has been trying to do did you ever see i know that's taking news with personality to a whole different place but i was just curious as somebody that has studied the news and understands how it works did you yeah. see the gap in the market do you think there is a gap in the market yeah, I mean, I mean, at the time at the time um you know, the only thing that was remotely close to GB News was talk radio, of yeah. which I, I resigned from my show on talk radio because of their their editorial policy. You know, yeah. I allowed a, a, a presenter to cut up a mask live on air and tell everyone to throw it away. I mean, just yeah. ludicrously irresponsible of a, of a major broadcaster. Yeah. Um, but you can absolutely see, you know, you know, you the states are always a decade ahead of us in, in, in most forms of most forms of media and Fox News the Fox News model has been something that that people have been salivating over here. Is yeah. how the hell can we get that ad money over here? They don't give a shit about the about the about the, the tone or the or the content. It's like if people are watching, yeah, well, hell, we'll do that. So you know, GB News had an amazing opportunity, and really, like, it was one of the worst own goals in history. <laughs> yes, indeed, for all sorts of reasons. Um, Let's, let's come back to you in just a couple more in this section. Are you any good at switching off, Jamie? You've said that you've constantly, your mind is bubbling with the next idea. Does that mean you are always wanting to check emails by the pool on holiday? Does that mean, or are you, are you, are you good at disassociating from that? I'm getting a bit better. I'm really bad at taking holidays full stop. Right. Um, when I do go on holiday, I do try and try and switch off. I think, you know, it's no coincidence that a lot of people in our line of work, my line of work, entrepreneurs, whatever you want to class us as, 
have some degree of ADHD uh, in, their, in their family history. And I don't think I'm any exception. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly difficult, mainly because, you know, if it's your business, if you're in charge, if it, you know, if there are decisions that you're making that impact your mortgage or other people's mortgages uh, or the future of the company or can upset a lot of people or, you know, you know, it's, it's tough not to lay, lay awake at night thinking about those things, you know, whether they're good things or bad things, you know. Yeah, I hear you. Um, is there a piece of advice that you've been given that you've ignored that has turned out to be the right thing? Or is there a piece of advice you've been given that you jumped on and absolutely did that? Are there either examples that you think, uh, yeah, that happened and I'm pleased that happened like that? Yeah, everyone told me not to do holy moly. Everyone said, did they? Hey, yeah, uh, friends, family. Because yeah. it was a startup, because Pop Bitch was already there, because they think, never saw your vision of celebrity culture. But... Yeah, I think I think um, all of the above, really. I think you know, I was in a, I was in a safe job at at the time. You know, that was that was paying well. You know, why the hell would you want to go and set up your own company and to to talk about celebrities for a living? That's just that's not that's just doesn't feel. As though it's got much substance to it, and it doesn't. You know, it didn't have any substance. Not everything has to be uh, morally, you know, substantial. You know, it was. But and I'm glad I ignored everybody. You know, everyone forgot they told me not to do it quite quickly. Right, second section. I'm still here with Jamie Dees. We're going to talk about your work, the brands that you work for, the things that you're up to now. Let's start with Holy Moly Singles. We've already mentioned it a couple of times. For those that don't know Holy Moly, it was an um, innovative, different take on how to cover celebrity. What do you think made it different? What, why, why was it a success? Um, well, it wasn't the first um and, it, and, and, and in the end it wasn't even the biggest but what what made it what made its rise very quick and made it very powerful was really simple really really simple you get the brand right you get it looking good and more importantly you write how people talk and that has always been whether i've written a film column whether it's articles whether it's, it's features whatever uh, but the remit with with holy moly was write how people are talking and no one was doing that it was all mealy mouthed it was all very london um you know where i came from you know and you know, I, I, I remember you know being sat in the back of the band van and the conversations that were used then and the language and the slang and and it's just like that's how people talk when they're in in their own living rooms whether they're slagging someone off or or watching a film trailer or whatever it is um and no one's really right no one was really writing like that at the time which is why and you might have to bleep this out which is why cunt corner was the was the was the section of holy moly whether i like it or not that made it famous and famous worldwide we were the first website to use that word and i think six weeks later the guardian media guardian uh did a Put it on the front page of media garden very small typeface and that was the, holy moly did that first and it's yeah. and it snowballed that was a word that now people just use uh as if it's it's like you know as if it's nothing back then people just did not say that word and we unleashed thousands and thousands and thousands of entries to that every single day it was crazy 
And before then, and, and you've mentioned other people that were changing this, celebrities had been spoken about online and, and in print in a fairly deferential way. There was some kind of backlash, but holy moly seemed more cutting. It seemed like it wasn't going to put up with any shit from celebrities. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, 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 the byline of holy moly was that being a celebrity is a ridiculous job and it's our job to tell you that. Um, and mainly, I think one of the main reasons for that was because I had absolutely nothing to lose. I was not in that world. I was not part of that circle. I didn't know these people. I didn't know their PR people. I didn't know, you know, I didn't have that, that quid pro pro relationship that PRs and, and magazines and papers had at the time. They didn't know how to get hold of me. I didn't even know who they were and I didn't really care. So it was just like, you know, I took everything on face value. And if someone was acting like a twat, then we sure as hell stuck the boot in. So you might think this is a ludicrous parallel, but never mind the buzzcocks has come back on Sky. Yeah. That's a good one. It's a good, it's it, a good it, it seems nicer. It seems like whilst they're still gently prodding celebrities, it's not Simon Amstel or even Mark Lamar ripping into them. Greg Davis is sort of on their side. You see where the parallel's going. Do you think yeah. if Holy Moly came around now, it would be slightly nicer? Do you think it wouldn't be so direct? Or do you think without that kind of prick, it wouldn't have succeeded? It certainly wouldn't, wouldn't have succeeded back then without, without that, that bile, uh, really. And, and, and the Buzzcocks one is a great analogy because, you know, at the time, it was amazing. Everyone loved it. Preston walking off because Simon Amstel was, was slagging off his wife. Hilarious. Nowadays, fucking hell it had been cancelled before the credits would have even been rolled and i'm not saying that's a wrong thing or a right thing but public mood and appetite and the way that we the, our relationship with celebrity has fundamentally changed it changed when holy moly and pop bitch came along and it changed when social media came along and it's cyclic so it will eventually go back to being embittered and nasty it will <laughs> well, that's just the, that's just the natural law of law of, of, of the media but you know, nowadays, there is no way on earth that, that Holy Moly would would make any headway. It'd be classed as being a real, like, alt-right celeb gossip website now, which is terrifying. Yeah. But that, people would think that people would, would class us as GB news of celebrity, which would be awful. <laughs> and you mentioned that Holy Moly you sold. I didn't know you'd sold it twice. I, re I remember the Endemol thing happening in 2011. Was that was that a happy period? Was it, were you pleased that you sold to who you did when you did? And what was the grand plan? So the first time was, um, you know, I needed to grow it. And, you know, whilst it was making money, you know, as with, as with any entrepreneur, you know, cash flow is a massive issue in, in, in any small business, you know, getting brass tacks about it. And it doesn't matter if you're making five grand a month, 20 grand a month. If your business needs to grow to a level where you're making 200 grand a month, you need to spend half a million quid to do that. That's just that's just economics of business. And, and so that's what I did. And I did it twice. You know, I, I, I sold a, I sold a stake to a company, the Perform Group, who are now um, who are owned by Len Blavatnik. Yeah. Um, and took that investment and built Holy Moly into a video. You know, we, we, along with everybody else, pivoted to video. Um, yeah. You know, plucked Matt Edmondson from obscurity and sent him on his way. And our red carpet interviews and our X Factor interviews were legendary. You know, mm. we, we we cracked that that side of things as well. Um, but as as we all know, with with hindsight, 
turns out the hills of video were not paid were not made of gold they were just made of cow shit um <laughs> so stopped doing that and went back to went back to the roots of it all took some investment with endemol just purely because i knew that my time as mr holy moly was coming to an end yeah and there was no way out if you're if you're the if you're the name and the the owner the only thing you can do to get out of it is either sell it or just shut it down and yeah. i had i had eight staff you know yeah what i do just go can't be asked anymore sorry see ya you know that it's quite tricky to do that with a big limited company anyway but but you know it's just so I, it was it was very much a passing of the baton kind of thing okay and it wasn't a grand holy moly tv show type thing it wasn't a grand or, or were there promises were there chat i mean yeah of course there were absolutely and we talked about it quite a lot whilst i was doing big brother with them the thing is big companies loved holy moly until they until they actually ended up owning it and then it was like holy shit this is a lot <laughs> <laughs> and that was because it was tough to sell ads around or everything everything it was tough to sell ads around it was tough to you know i remember i remember on the day that we announced the endemol deal dr christian uh of the the naked bodies yeah went absolutely apoplectic on social media about it um you know so it caused caused endemol a lot of lot of trouble but to their credit to tim inks and lucas church's credit they loved it you know, they were up for the challenge. They were up for the fight. They found it hilarious. We used to, you know, and, and Tim Hinks is, 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 is one of those mentors uh, that, that I learned so much from in that time. I'm keen to get, before we bring this up to state, to get a thought on celebrity culture, because the one almost since Holy Moly, there is a whole new genre of celebrities. I know reality TV was very much there with Big Brother, but it's it, with influencers, with online creators, with social talent. It's almost a different level or kind of celebrity relationship than has been before. Yeah. If you were still doing something with Holy Moly, do you think these online celebrities should be treated in a different way? Do you think it's 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 all the same? Do you think how, um, how do you think it's changed the celebrity prison, if you like? It's a good question. I think I mean almost certainly they would be prime fodder for us, you know uh social media kind of knocked the relationship uh, or celebrities' relationships with with, with online uh, journalism into a cocked hat really because it removed the need for for us to report on anything removed the need for papers to save a story for sunday when george michael could just tweet about it and say it's a load of bollocks you know that that was that was that was the, the death knoll of, of of that era of celebrity journalism yeah i came along and you know let's not let's be frank influencers only exist because someone worked out how to how to how to sponsor a post on instagram you know that or 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 send a youtuber a game yeah. to unpack that is all the influencing is it's just brands getting in front of kids um mm -hmm. they don't give you know they don't care about these people their influences i mean and you can because by and large they're horrific you know by and large they are the worst of 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 everything humanity has to offer now it's 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 there's no real discernible talent to it you know, yes, they spend a day doing a 15 long, 15 second long TikTok. Bully fucking who? Great. Fantastic. What are you going to do when you're 40? Because I hope you're making a lot of money. Yeah. So, but the difference is now mental health didn't exist 
in 2002 and 2005. Um, we took a step back and paused for thought with Britney Spears. We did the same uh, with Amy Winehouse. And, you know, and I certainly changed the way that Holy Moly behaved after the death of Amy Winehouse. Um, but you can't go after kids that have no support network. You can't go after anyone that has no support network. There's a huge difference between Zoella, age 16, putting up a picture talking about, putting up a video talking about her new car and slagging her off for that. There's, there is going in on Justin Timberlake, who's got four managers and three PR companies and, and, and this whole team. He would never even see it. To, yeah. An influencer, you're, you're, you're shooting, you're shot straight to the heart, you know? Yeah. Um, so you've got to, you would, you would have to think very carefully about that. So we spoke earlier about video not being paved with gold, but a load of cow shit, I think was your turn of phrase in terms of the revenues around video. Yeah. Is it that that explains Smart 7 <laughs> pointing yeah. towards an audio and a podcast space? Was that, how did Smart 7 come about? Was it, did you go format first, then think channel? Did you go brand for, how did you conceptualise it? So by the time I got around to thinking about Smart 7, I'd already done two years on Virgin Radio. So I'd done two years as a commercial radio DJ. I'd done about 18 months on talk radio and we're still doing talk radio, um, which is obviously a talk, talk radio platform. So I'd kind of earned my chops in terms of hosting and presenting and, and, and being able to navigate my way through live radio. And I'd kept in touch with, with Liam Thompson, who was my old program director at virgin radio he right. he moved on and i'd moved on from virgin but you know again he's one of those he was one of those mentors that i learned so much from you know he, he taught me how to do radio pretty much and we got on very well and kept in touch and then you know podcasting was obviously where everything was heading and you know and we're only talking 18 months ago now it was already there it wasn't heading there it was kind of already there and we went for and and you know january 2020 sat down for a coffee we kind of said look we should do something together we should do a podcast together so it was always going to be a podcast and genuinely by the time i'd finished a cup of coffee we'd nailed the smart seven you know i'd, yeah. I'd been producing podcasts for netflix um i'd already had some success with the previously on series uh through my relationship with game of thrones and hbo and sky atlantic so that's so i really knew kind of how to do a hit um but one thing i'd learned through producing from netflix and building up contacts at spotify and apple and all of the platforms was again this is kind of like a holy moly moment it's kind of like daily was was where everything was heading daily was the untapped uh future really and no one no one was really doing a daily news podcast even though the biggest podcast in the world was a daily news podcast you yeah. know the new york times the daily yeah um, it does like six million episodes of six million listens a day and yeah. no one in the uk was really doing it with any seriousness so took okay let's do a daily news podcast theirs was quite long it's like we don't really want to you know at the time we were both working full-time this was pre-pandemic and the, the seven format happened within two or three minutes so it's like okay well, what if it's like seven minutes long it's seven in the morning and we just did seven stories okay well that's kind of easy what if we made the last one the and finally what if we made sport number three what if we made number four was always like climate or tech number five was the us or because trump was really big then you know the actual all of that came together very very quickly indeed and then applied 
a little bit of holy moly to it. Let's do the news, but do it with a bit of vim and vigour. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Daily podcasts, which seems almost crazy now, weren't there, there weren't that many, and, and lots of people have come a bit later to that. Yeah. But the other thing that I've always been amazed of is every podcast seems to be three people in a room talking for over an hour and there's not (laughs) there's not loads of originality there and short form i i remember thinking where's i I remember being presented when i worked in commercial radio on the on the commercial side that one day we're going to be able to build our own breakfast show with the sport coming from the mirror sport American news them, and and that hasn't happened. And to get that short form podcast stuff to be in and out and be a useful tool, I, I absolutely am amazed that that people weren't there before. Well, it was it was also you know it was it was a necessity really because we knew that it was going to be impossible to break through and replace people's listening habits. You know, people were already there. They were already listening to Adam Buxton on the on the train. They were already uh listening to my dad wrote a porno so it's like well to try and overtake that requires a huge marketing budget and a huge kind of spend and which we just didn't have this was a this was an experiment that we tried so it's like okay if we if we'd made something that they could listen to on the way to the train station and by the time they sat down on the train knew everything that was that was going on in the world that would be pretty useful that was that was it and Useful to the audience sounds as though it's key. Who who was it aimed at and who are the listeners of the Smart Zone? It was aimed at commuters. You know, in January 2020, the trains were packed every morning and we all incredulously uh, went into, into a city and sat in an office for eight hours rather than, rather than on Zoom. So it was always intended as a commuters podcast. Now, we didn't launch until April, by which time I'd already had COVID and been laid up for a month and the world was was, was in tatters. So we, we did have a conversation which just like, well, shit, there's no commuters. What do we do? We just thought, you know what, just do it anyway. Just yeah. it's good kind of testing ground. We'll, we'll get, out, we'll get the, the, the production worked out. We'll get the format nailed. We'll get the, you know, we were like tectonic plates. You've got to, there's a bit of grinding together before you get working together. And, you know, especially at five o'clock in the morning until you get that, that down to a patter. And luckily by the time we'd, we'd nailed it, um, the audience were ready for it. Great. And how do you look at success with a project like this? Is it purely download numbers? Is it content? Is it brand extensions? What's, yeah, what does success um, look like? I mean, first and foremost, it's, it, it looks, you know, it's a success because we're able to, to earn off it. You know, the fundamentals yeah. of the two guys, you know, that's, that's a success. It's like, you know, feeling as though all those early mornings for throughout most of 2020 weren't in vain and 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 seeing brands that really want to work with it you know we get we get some of the biggest brands and and the feedback we get from those brilliant because we'd go a bit above and beyond with the adverts well we kind of get we make them we make them fun to listen to rather than just the amount of celebrity podcasts you listen to where they begrudgingly read out a squarespace or a hello fresh kind of advert you just think even though you never even you never even looked at Hello Fresh box in your life, mate. Yeah. So try and put it through. So that's that's satisfying. Um, we launched an Irish version because yes, we and I've always always been a fan of um, the localized franchise model, and that was always a plan with Holy Moly, but we just it just never happened. 
but um, and I still maintain that the Holy Moly India would have been a massive success. But, <laughs> um, you know, the idea that you can have like this, 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 this hero episode, um, and then you know, it's, it's like the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire format. It's you know, you've got your brand book, but on top of that, you've also got probably forty percent of the content, which is, which is, which is world agnostic. Which yeah. Is, the agnostic so you you take it you take a portion of local content put it in with the content that you've already got with the branding that you've already got you've got a whole new episode for probably about about 30 percent of the cost yeah so it's been really satisfying to try that with ireland and ireland's been a been a huge success and that that, that's interesting so has that invited you to look at other territories yes we're we're now we're now deep in into into europe at the moment oh wow that's really exciting and quite tricky what, i mean look at it you know ireland's english you know they speak yeah. english um it's a, it, it's we're we're now looking at the challenges of, of doing a, a foreign speaking episode and so you find a journalist or presenter on the ground they can plug into smart 7 hq to see what's relevant to their local market and then they can do three or four stories of their own is that is that kind of the vision Kind of, yeah. I mean, it's a little, yeah, and it's, it's, the presenter isn't necessarily the writer, um, you know, so it's, as there aren't many presenters that are good writers and vice versa, uh, even though both think that they're great at both. <laughs> so, so there's usually a writing team because, you know, Smart7 works fundamentally because of trust. You have to trust your other team members because there's just not time to double check and sanity check every single thing that everybody does. You have to trust that that read that someone sent you is, has been edited and done properly. You have to trust that the script is factually correct. You have to trust that the clips are in the right place because otherwise it would never get out at seven in the morning. So with Smart 7, it looks like you got to the format and it's a great listen and I would recommend it to anybody listening to this because it, it does genuinely feel quite different. When do you, when does your entrepreneurialism start taking shape and when do you look at business models around it? So you haven't got subscriber revenue, might that come in at some stage, is it? Or, or is that a more fluid process? Um, we've always, you know, I've always got my eye on the next thing, you know, and I always try and make sure that next thing is some way connected to the thing that I'm doing now. You know, it's very even though I've, I have made complete about turns a few times, it's, they're quite stressful and it's a lot easier to just to, just to gently um, evolve. So we are looking at the next step for Smart 7. I can't tell you what it is next. No, I'm sure. But it, but it's, I think it'll probably be announced in the next couple of weeks. But, okay. um, but yeah, I mean, it's, if you stand still, you're screwed really. You know, that's, that's you know, everybody knows that. Um, it doesn't take long for a big media company to go, why are we doing that? Let's just us do that instead, which has started to, to creep in. So it's like, okay, well, let's, and we've, we've identified a few more things where it's just like, okay, we know what you're not doing. So we're going to go and start doing that now as well. You mentioned this briefly, but in terms of when you're looking at 
advertisers and partners i mean i've i've been listening recently and the week sounds like almost the perfect partner i've i heard the sage ad as well the the in read that you did and both sound really good you've already hinted at your views on this already jamie but authenticity in those situations is key for the advertiser to get any value right if it was a brand that you couldn't sit up straight and and talk about you'd say no or you'd find a way to deliver the message yeah, there are lots of brands, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I obviously wouldn't, um, you know, we've turned down booze sponsorships before. Um, and I get, you know, anything that just doesn't sit right. And to, but to be honest, you know, we're, we're a pretty broad church. There's not a lot unless it's morally goes against my personal beliefs or, you know, or or we just think is just slightly propaganda issue we wouldn't do it but but you know we're a broad content church so there's little that doesn't really fit a, a generic news content so stuff like the week is a brilliant one even though they're also doing the news yeah they're not doing our news and they yeah. recognize that we recognize that and it works perfectly well and you know we've we've also had big campaigns from facebook which you know yeah. which some people may find a bit whiffy uh, and, and i'm sure some people did turn that down but we found it you know it was about reporting on COVID and we, yes. we report on COVID more than anything else that we've ever reported on. So we, we were, we were happy for that to sit alongside it. And well, let's take a bit more of a helicopter view on podcasts. Where do you think they're going next? What's going to be the next, if you look at kind of the podcast evolution of let's say phase one was Ricky Gervais and XFM phase two was serial. We're in phase three now where there seems to finally be money in this arena What's going to be the next big thing, do you think? The Ricky Gervais thing is my favourite. You know the story about Ricky Gervais, right? No, go for it. I'm be- so I'm- the, 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 the anecdote, the, or the legend has it, which I'm pretty sure is 100% true, is that obviously back in the, time, back in the day when the Ricky Gervais show and Carl and, yeah. you know, XFM wanted to do the podcast, um, or, or maybe we're, we're kind of ambivalent about doing a podcast, so just said, yeah, do it. You, you just keep whatever, keep whatever you make from it. Uh, they charged 79p for that first episode and it was downloaded two and a half million times. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> XFM were very quick to try and renegotiate that deal and you know, immediately made Carl Pilkington a millionaire, which I just love the fact. And that's just, that's just typical of, of narrow, of short-sightedness, of just kind of like, yeah, fine. What's a little old podcast going to do? It's like, well, particularly when you look at Global Radio now with their DAX tool and how they are kings of the podcast place space. Oh, so, they yeah. really? That's interesting to hear. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's only Global that say that, but there you go. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, they've come on. <laughs> The problem is they're, everyone's armed now, but they've got no good ideas. That's the, uh, I think um, where we're heading next. I mean, let's hope that, that, that we're in the, that we're in the croaking last breath of the celebrity podcast um, because they are horrific. You know, the good ones are still good and always have been. Uh, they're just, it's just, it's just, they've just made a mess of everything. It's, from a format perspective, I go back to something I said before, but three people in a room does not necessarily a podcast make. And the no, word doesn't. and also the, the issue is is that those three people then go off and interview each other on their own podcast. Exactly. So you've got, you know, you've got X comedian talking to Y comedian, and then you've got Y comedian talking to X comedian. My God, they don't half like the sound of their own voice. And to be cynical from a brand perspective, and we've built 
podcast campaigns, whether that be creating them on behalf of brands or putting them in, is two things that frustrate me is brands will spend a tiny amount of money in the podcast space, create a podcast that nobody listens to or nobody can ever find, and then think, oh, well, podcasting doesn't work now. Yeah, the branded uh, podcast is the same as the branded microsite. Of it. It's the yeah. branded microsite of its day. Yeah. Um, you know, the only people that win are the people that just just take a slice of that money. <laughs> because it's, it's just, you know, it's X car company of apportioned a, a, a hundred grand just to go and do podcasts. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, a, a host and an agent will make 55 grand. Yeah. Something yeah. Else will make whatever is left over, you know, and, and no one will listen to it. No one's had any anything uh, you know, creatively nourishing out of that. And and the brand are just like, well, that was crap. We're not doing that again. And let, let's be clear, you and I are both speaking from a perspective of people that are passionate about podcasts and want them to be done well and want them to yeah. be done right. But the things like, you, you know, you see them time and time again. It's just a waste of effort. You know, you know, people, you know, the people making them do a great job you know the actual you know the technicalities and you know people people spend a lot of time and blood sweat and tears over them i'm not doing doing them out of a disservice but ultimately you've got to take a step back and go who cares who yeah. ultimately is going to care about this why are we creating why are we why are we doing the german car podcast of of yeah. why are we trying to own movies and podcasts why is the point of that? Why don't we just go and sponsor and have a working, yeah. a year-long relationship with a successful podcaster who talks about movies, who who aligns with the brand? Isn't that a far better use of that? And you can do some bit of video, you can do a bit of do a buyout of someone. That's a far yeah. better spend of a hundred grand rather than creating this nonsensical product that no one. You cares. wouldn't go to build another Instagram. You might think about where you would be on in Instagram. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. you're right, absolutely. And the final thing, just whilst we're both sounding like you know wounded war veterans, but if you look at the podcast space let's say it's a million podcasts that are live. The hilarious thing is now the advert that you are most likely to hear on podcast because there's still, there's that discovery issue is for another podcast. So you've yeah. built the almost absolute wall of sound that is not penetrable by anybody. So you have to advertise again. So they're almost making their whole market out of a cluttered market. So. Yeah, I completely agree. But the, you know, a lot of that, you know, we're moving into the next phase of podcasts, as you said, and the, the next phase of podcasts, sadly, is going gonna, is gonna to be very difficult for independent podcasters because it's all about the platform exclusives and, you know, Spotify exclusives, Apple exclusives, Amazon exclusives. That, unfortunately, is going to change things for the worst for a lot of podcasters because they will take, they will play second fiddle to this supposedly agnostic platform um are always going to prioritize things that they have an ownership in and which is which is really tricky um for advertisers it's also really tricky because it means that the biggest podcasts on all these platforms won't be running any ads yeah they will be exclusive so therefore where do they put their ads well i could put it go and put it on this podcast but it's not it's not top 10 anymore it's not even top <laughs> 100 because all the top 10 are filled with that platform's exclusives that's a yeah. trick one to to work out i think um and it's a sad day and bbc sounds has got a lot to answer for for that as well you know yeah so, i'm with you though i know what you're with bbc sounds you know they can't they can't own their own playground lock everyone else out and then send the kids out to play in everyone <laughs> else's playground as well uh, yes. with, with better with better football boots yeah i understand nice analogy i, I was with it until the end it's massively um, unfair 
Let's go with one last thing in this section. What's the work that you are most proud of? Wow, that's a great question. And there's, there's probably bits from everything that I've done. I'm proud. I'm deeply proud of Holy Moly uh, because I literally did it on my own against the wishes of everybody I knew. Yeah. I'm deeply proud of the music that the band made. I'm deeply proud of the Smart 7 to become the number one news podcast on Spotify with yeah. three people against the Times, the Guardian, the Economist. It, and I'm proud of that because it must have really wound them up. <laughs> <laughs> I know most of them as well. And they, and they actually sacked me. So it's kind of like, that is the ultimate, you know, they canceled some of my podcasts. So it's deeply gratifying to see us to see myself above them in the charts. There was a, there was a kind of uh, an invisible flicking of the V's down to uh, down to London bridge on that particular day. <laughs> but that's, you know, small, small. Risk. I'm proud of, I'm proud of, there aren't, there aren't many things I'm not proud of. I've made some dreadful decisions. I've behaved like a dreadful person at times and a bad boss at times. Um, but, uh, but I'm, I'm proud of the vast majority of things that I've done. So I'm still here with Jamie East, who uh, brings uh, people every day the Smart 7, and it is well worth checking out. Final section of our chat is what we call our rocket fuel. So kind of actionable insights for our audiences of those working in marketing, media, at brands. And we kind of want some takeaways from your experience, Jamie. Let's start with this one. And it's a broad question, deliberately so. What do you know about young audiences and what do you think is important to them? Um, well, I'm a father of four. Uh, <laughs> I was an early father of four, you know, my oldest is 28. Uh, he was, I was 19 when he was born. Um, and I've, you know, and I, my youngest is now 13. So I've been through the wide gamut of age. I've been through everything from, from babies up to, uh, to adulthood. Um, what do I know about them? I know they are probably the most critical, um, astute, picky and difficult audience to please and get to out of any other sector you know um mainly because everyone they, they're constantly patronized i know it's like a just just for all the for all the will in the world a 45 year old can't write copy for a 12 year old you know just can't be done no matter how good you think you are you can't do it don't try a 19 year old maybe can find the kids that find the kids that can write and get them to talk to them. You know, it's, I think that is by and large the biggest, um, the biggest thing I've learned is that know when your time is up and know when to hire people that can talk to the people you want to reach better than you. And what do you think's changed about the way audiences behave and what do you think will change next? I mean, attention span, number one thing, you know, any parent will know and if they if they don't admit it they're lying to themselves kids aren't reading books anymore they're not reading magazines they don't even know what a newspaper is they barely know what a website is they barely know what linear television is how the hell do you compete with that you do it in short sharp loud bright interesting snippets okay 
And are there a, I'm not expecting you to name names, but do you think there's brands or businesses that get it wrong and, and brands and businesses that get it right? Um, I will name names. I don't, I don't care. I've never, I've never <laughs> been about naming names, really. I'm sad that Newsround doesn't feel as though it's a 2021 product anymore. And, and, and I'm only saying that because it's just never been part of my kid's life, but it was for me. And I don't know. And same for Blue Peter as well. And so I don't know. I don't know why that is I, I, because it's just not part of my life. But I'm, I'm I kind of it, it saddens me to know that those those great brands and something with such a great remit and aim has just been allowed to just wither and die. That's, you know, Newsround and and to an extent, a lot of see children's ITV were fantastic ways for kids to discover and these are pre-teen kids and, and kind of early teen kids you know they've just been allowed to just wither and die and to just be locked away because kids just don't do don't it's like no they don't consume it in that way so change it you know that's why you put you know you can't that's like saying you know news round was put on at that time of day because that was the time that kids watched it news round was created specifically and went after kids in the place and at the time they were doing it just do that again yeah you know why is it news round a tick actually news round might be on tiktok i've got no idea but you know why isn't news round just a tiktok channel now yeah i do i think with older kids um it's you know kids are fundamentally embarrassed about talking about vast majority of things from the ages of like 12 to 19 um and they will be deeply curious about so many things um and no one's really talking to them properly and i'm not I don't mean sex i mean finances i mean cooking i mean yeah renting a flat i mean being terrified of being lonely about leaving your parents all of those kind of things you know, they're just parts of human nature and, and kids just aren't spoken to about those kind of things enough by brands. Final question, and it might be indicative of the rubbish questions I've asked. So feel free right. to feel free to take offer one takeaway from our listeners, either from the stuff that we've spoken about or something that we haven't mentioned. Is there any one thing that they should walk away from the, our conversation with, Jamie? Is this... Is this for brands or for, for kids or for... Uh, any, well, this will be for our listeners. So we broadly think our listeners are marketing and brand types. So if they had one takeaway from your experience, from, from our conversation or from something more broadly than that, what might that be? I think, I think it'd be test and learn. I know which is like a, a, a phrase that gets banded around so much. But it's really important, you know, don't expect huge success with an influencer, with a brand, with a podcast, with a website, with whoever, whatever, immediately. So don't kind of go, well, we'll spend 50 grand. And if, if we haven't had 10,000 people taking us up on the Smart 7 offer code uh, for a HelloFresh box within six weeks, then wow, aren't they crap? Maybe there's something wrong with with the offer code model. You know, it strikes me as a bit of a lazy a lazy way of marketing sometimes. Although, if anyone wants to do that with the Smart Seven, I think they're fantastic. Um, but you know, develop a relationship. It's the only way. And the only you know, just go and listen to the Adam Buxton podcast to for 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 probably the shining example of trust between brands and. Uh, 
and a podcaster slash service. Yeah. That's, that's not happened overnight. Squarespace, all of those kind of brands have taken a punt and allowed them to have the piss taken out of them and yeah. allowed there to be no audio idents, no real brand messaging for him just to go completely off piece. And it is by far and above a fantastic piece of uh, advertising relationship. It's a really good point. Relinquishing that much control takes immense trust in the person that's delivering those messages. And yeah, don't, it really but pays. Don't hire a brand. Don't don't do don't don't go to an influencer or a, or a web or a website or a podcast, and then try and micromanage it because the very point of of you going to them is because you want you want some of their magic on you. It's not the other way around here. They don't need a bit of the BMW magic dust, you know, <laughs> they, you know, you're going to them for, for a bit of sparkle. So allow them to shine. Jamie, where can people get in touch with you if you indeed want them to? And where can people find out more about the Smart 7? So the Smart 7, uh, as with all, uh, it's almost like muscle memory available mm. wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can, <laughs> it's on Spotify, uh, it's on Apple, everywhere. You can have a look at the smart7.com. Um, the production company is called Daft Doris. That's at daftdoris.com. Uh, we make podcasts for other people. We make adverts for other people. So do get in touch because we're really good at it. And uh, if you want to come and have a chat to me about anything, uh, I'm over on Twitter at Jamie East. I'm always up for a natter. Brilliant. Jamie, I can't thank you enough for being this week's uh, guest on Rocket Fuel. I really appreciate your time. Thank Lovely. you. That's been a whole lot of fun. Who knew marketing chat could be fun? <laughs> so that was Jamie. Jamie East. I told you it was a good discussion, didn't I? I managed to get some things that I've been meaning to ask Jamie for a very long time, so I hope you'll agree they worked nicely. In a fortnight's time, we're going to talk to Rich Clare. Richard is the editor of Mega Magazine, so if there are anything that you really want us to ask him, then get in touch with your questions or thoughts, and that will be the end of this season four of Rocket Fuel. So do recommend this podcast to anyone that you think would get something from it. Give us a like, give us a uh, good review wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you in a fortnight's time for the next edition of Rocket Fuel. This is Rocket Audio.